You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are going through some parables of Jesus. Nothing is... This is my favorite, just focusing on Jesus and his words. I think that is our goal as followers of Jesus is to learn as much as we can from him, about him, because the goal of our faith really is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal. This is what we're doing, is we are trying to become more and more like Jesus by the power and help of Jesus. And so uh, what better way to do that than to just listen to what he has to say to us. And so we're going through these parables in Luke Parables, if you don't know, I say it every time. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. But I say it every time when I talk about parables because it's helpful for me to know what a parable is. We know it as a short story that you know, tries to make a point. But breaking it down, it means to throw alongside. The bowl part of parable means it's where we get our word ball from because it's the Greek word to throw. That's where ball comes from. I just think that's so interesting. I don't know. And para is alongside. So Jesus is taking earthly stories and throwing them alongside heavenly realities to help us understand what God is up to in our life. And so as I try to do most of the time, I haven't been doing it lately, I like to start with the bad news because I think if we could better receive the bad news, understand the bad news that we face, then we will better understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus And so our story begins like this. It's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. We're not focusing on the Lord's Prayer today, but this is the context about the parables that we're about ready to receive. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And I think this is where the bad news begins is that prayer could be mysterious and hard. Prayer can be mysterious and hard. We don't understand it oftentimes. Uh, sometimes we don't have good examples. And so sometimes I think we get stuck with the technical parts of prayer. We want to know the technical aspects. This is what Jesus is here to do. He's here to reveal the will and mind of God. And so his disciples, you know, they say, obviously, tell us. How should we pray? In what way should we pray? They're asking a lot of questions because I think them, like us, sometimes we're afraid we're doing it wrong. We, we want to do it. We know we should do it, but I think sometimes we're afraid we're not doing it right or correctly. And so I think they're asking these questions, right? How many times? How do I start? How do I end? What tone or tenor or manner should I be praying in? Where, how, when, what should we be doing when it comes to prayer? Reminds me of this movie that came out a million years ago, 10 years ago. I always get tripped out when I go to use a movie reference and it's a decade old. So forgive me, but this movie came out a decade ago. It was called Gravity. It was Sandra Bullock, and he, she was an astronaut. And after a series of catastrophes, essentially she thinks she's going to die. And one of the most heartbreaking scenes is she's convinced she's dying. She's trying to get her radio to work. The only person she can call is somebody in the deep wilderness of Alaska that doesn't even speak the same language. She's just talking to this man just for one last bit of of human connection, even though they don't understand each other at all. And she says this. She says, "Will will you pray for me? I mean, I'd pray for myself, but I've never prayed 
because nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever, and then she just says it again, fades to black. Nobody ever taught me how. I think sometimes, I mean, this is an exaggerated example, but I think sometimes we're there. We feel like we don't understand the hows and the whats and the whys. In today's parables that we're about ready to get into, Jesus is less interested in the how than the who. The disciples come and they say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus goes, I got some other things I want you to know about prayer. And that's what we are doing today. If you got some scriptures in front of you and you want to open those up, please do. Uh, it is page 792 or it'll be on the screen. I've misplaced my scripture, so I'm going screen today. 792. Let's just spend some time with Jesus this morning, get the context, get the parables, and then I'll try to pull some quick points out of it, and we'll be on our way for the day. It says this, that Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, his disciples came to him, and they said, teach us how to pray, just as John, the disciples, John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, you know the Lord's Prayer. Maybe. Actually, I don't know if you saw recently on Jeopardy, like two weeks ago, there was a question about the Lord's Prayer, and it was a fill in the blank. It was like, our Father in heaven, blank be thy name. And no one got it right on Jeopardy. They didn't know the hallowed part. So that's okay. Listen, that's okay. That's okay. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Let it not be said of us, though. Hallowed is the word there. So he teaches them. This is a, a, a more updated version, right? But he teaches them first word, Father. Uphold the holiness of your name. That's what hallowed be thy name is. Let's, let's make your name holy in all the earth. Bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this bread that we need, etc., etc. Forgive us. And then Jesus launches into two parables to illustrate what and why he just told us what he said. Here's the parables. He also said to them, imagine that one of you has a friend and you go to that friend in the middle of the night and imagine saying, friend, loan me three loaves of bread because another friend of mine on a journey has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. This is an issue of hospitality. Imagine further that that man, you're the other guy that you went and you knocked on his door, imagine that you went to his house and he said, don't bother me. My door is already locked. My children and I are in bed, and I can't get up to give you anything. Now, Jesus is saying a parable that is obviously absurd. We would say that. We'd be like, listen, I'm already in bed. Don't bother me. But in this culture, Jesus is obviously painting a picture that is totally absurd. The issues of hospitality are there. Everybody's little house in a village, you would hear the whole commotion it would be so shameful for you to turn somebody away who was trying to be his hospitable to somebody who was on a journey, no cell phones to let anyone know they were coming. They just showed up when they could show up after walking many, many miles. And so Jesus is saying, this is absurd. Your friend would never say this. Your friend would never say, door's already locked, I'm already in bed. You all might. Jesus is obviously painting a picture that is absurd to him and his culture. Jesus says, I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness, right? Because he's loud. He's making a scene. The whole village is going to hear. He's banging on the door. And Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks, receive. And every, whoever seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door is open. One more parable illustrating the same principle. 
Which father among you, Jesus says, would give a snake to your child if that child asked for a fish? If a child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord for the people of God on this day. As always, I like to preach three points. Head, heart, hand, something for us to know, feel, do. I ask those questions every time. What does God want us to know? What does God want us to experience? What does God want us to do? I have to flip it today. My sincerest apologies to those who've been here for a long time. Heart first, then head, then hands. What does God want us to experience? What does God want us to experience in this question about prayer? I think it's this. Our first word of prayer should be Father. Our first word of prayer should be Father. Look how often Jesus talks about Father in these two parables and this teaching about the Lord's Prayer. First word, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. First word of prayer should be Father. Jesus is less interested in the how and more interested in the who the how you relate to God versus how you do the technical aspects of prayer. Even in this parable, Father, Father, Heavenly Father, Jesus wants to emphasize the who-ness of God. That makes no sense, but you understand exactly what I'm saying. Not the how of prayer, the who of prayer. And this is radical. I know we live 2,000 years this side of Jesus, but this is radical that Jesus would show up and paint a picture of God as father, and not just father, but friend. Not just father, friend. The first parable is about friend, friend, friend. Friend, friend, friend. Jesus does this thing where he does, it's contrasting parables. It's like, if you guys do the right thing and you're terrible, imagine how good, good God is. If you would do the right thing for your friend or your child, imagine the friendship that God gives to you and the type of parent God will be for you. And so, these are the parables. They're contrasting. So Jesus wants to not talk to us about the technical aspects of prayer, how many times, how often, what words you should say, where you should do it. He wants to talk about the who of prayer. Who are we addressing? And he wants us to experience God as a parent, as a father, friend, friendship again, a friendly father. Jesus wants us to experience the God of the universe as father. And that was radical and still is radical for us to this day. One of my favorite things about babies is that um, almost universally, their first word is dad, which is the best And I tried to do some research, and I got good news and bad news for you, dads. The good news, I should start with the bad news, but I'm going to start with the good news. The good news about them saying dad first is actually D sounds are harder, not easier. So you're like, well, maybe dad, 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 dad. Maybe that's easier than mom, 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 And every linguist in the world says, no, 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 actually, D's are harder. And I'm like, yeah. They literally cross some obstacles so that they could say, Dad, first, this is the best. Bad news for dads, if you were taking that as a sign of pride like I do, 
is that the reason they say dad first is because they're so bonded to mothers that they don't even sense a difference between them and mom. <laughs> they don't even know that they're a different person. No worries, mom. Saying dad at first actually means you and the baby are super bonded. I read all about it. I was like, <laughs> for 13 years, I'm like, yeah, you know, mm-mm-mm-mm. And it's actually, they're like, we don't even know that there's a difference. So the, the silver lining to the dads is you're the first, usually the first human being that they sense that is closest to them but different than them. But um, Godspeed, you know, like it's an uphill climb after that. Uh, but I just, it just reminded me and it just felt like this is what Jesus is trying to get us to do when it comes to prayer that our first word of prayer is Father. Not how many times, not how often, not these technical words, not memorizing prayers from a million years ago from the ancients. It's talking to God as Father. Pope Francis tells us the entire mystery of Christian prayer is summed up here in these words, to have the courage to call God by the name Father. That's the radical teaching of Jesus here. That's what he wants you to experience, God as Father. What does God want us to know then? What's the information that Jesus wants us to take from this? What's hitting me is he says, good parents give good gifts. God gives the best gift. God gives the best. If good parents know how to give good gifts, then God, who's the best parent, knows how to give the best gifts. Which of you... If your kid asks for an egg or some bread or some fish, you give them, you know, something that'll hurt them, something that'll harm them, something that'll poison them. And he says, if you who are evil, which I love, right? Just a, just a little bit of humility here. If you who are broken and flawed and sinful and rebellious and who are just barely scraping by, if you know how to treat your kids relatively well and give them things that actually might help them, how much more will the Heavenly Father give to you what? Not just gifts, not just things you need, the Holy Spirit. Just this random left field final word as he's wrapping up this parable in this section. God gives us the Holy Spirit as the gift for those who ask. Again, I talked about how this is a parable of contrast. If you who are not great know how to do stuff, then God, who is very great, knows how to do the best stuff. If we who are full of evil can do good stuff, imagine what an all-perfect parent will do. And what does our glorious God want to give us? What we need the most. More God. More of God's self for us and in us. The Holy Spirit, we believe, comes and makes his home in us when we follow Christ. This is what God wants to give us. More of himself. This is what Jesus tells us. This is the information that he wants us to know. That God wants to give us more of himself. Uh, I was reading an article, and bear with me. Listen, I don't know. It was about what the rich give each other as presents. And none of us are struggling with this vice of having too much. But I thought it was interesting. It was a whole article about how do the rich give each other presents? Because the problem is, as you know, is they can buy themselves whatever they want. And so what do you get somebody who can, I mean, literally buy themselves whatever they want? And this article was soul crushing because it was like, sometimes I buy my dad new cars, $100,000 Lamborghinis. And, and I was like, oh. 
kill me. But they said, and I thought this was interesting, while there are a lot of expensive toys for people to choose from, sometimes the wealthy run into a problem the rest of us don't face. What do you get the person who can afford anything? And, and the article goes on to say, they prefer to buy experiences that are more meaningful, with more thought that goes into it, and usually connecting. Let's go on a trip together. Let's take helicopter rides around the world. Whatever, you know. <laughs> Buy some submarines so that we can go. But I thought that was really interesting. That people who can afford everything prioritize gifts that have to do with experience and connection. And I think this is what Jesus is talking to us about. The thing that God wants to give us. Right? Because Jesus can give us anything. But the thing he wants to give us more of is himself. Through the Holy Spirit and our heart. More connection. More experience more of God in us. I know sometimes we think we need other things, but Jesus is telling you, and this is the information that he wants you to know, is that the thing you ultimately need more than anything else is more Jesus in your life. And that's what Jesus wants to give you. Okay, that's true, that Jesus wants us to experience God as Father, and Jesus wants to give us more of himself as a gift, which I think is incredible, which I think is incredible. What are we supposed to do? What is Jesus' encouragement for us what is, to act, to move forward, to take this and put it into practice? For me, it is this. Never stop knocking. Never stop knocking. This is what Jesus tells us. I tell you, ask, and you will receive. Knock, and you will find. You know, what is the last one? Seek. That's the middle one. I skipped it. Seek. And the parable before that is, he says, even if that friend says, I just don't want to get up, I'm laying in bed, he says, his brashness, his brashness would cause him to get out of bed. Jesus is saying, be a little bit brash. Never stop knocking. Keep going. Be persistent in prayer. Because his promise to you is that when you knock, the door will be open. And when you seek, you will find. And when you ask, you will receive. And the thing I love about this is that Jesus is a great pastor. Because ask, seek, knock. Look at it. It spells out ask. This only works in English, though. But that's how you know that's a good pastor. Look, it makes a word. Come on. But he tells us, ask, seek, knock. His encouragement, what he wants us to do with the information and the experience is to be persistent, to keep knocking, Keep seeking, because his promise is that you will find, and the door will be open. Keep knocking, even when you think the answer is a no. Keep knocking through the no. Keep going. Knock, 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 Jesus says. Brash, big, bold prayers. This is his encouragement to us, to knock. But not as a should. Not as a, here's the thing you have to do if you want to be a part of this thing. Right, as, as a chance for connection, as a chance for a relationship, because remember the first word is Father. Jesus is saying, prioritize and be persistent about spending time with the who of God, not the how of it. Never stop knocking, because everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who seeks finds. That's the promise, everyone. Which is... Another radical aspect to the teaching that we get today. Sorry, I underlined everyone, and it reminded me to tell you that this is part of, 
Who gets to call God Father? Everyone. So not only is Jesus sharing with us his relationship to the God of the universe and says our first word should be Father, but everyone, not just a chosen few, not just some kind of race or class or gender-based religious expression, everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who seeks finds. It's a promise, encouragement, a radical redefinition of who God is and what God is doing in the world. Not just Jews, not just men, not just the wealthy. Everyone gets to access God like a parent. But sometimes I hear as a pastor, and I've said, so no judgment, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. I don't know how. I'm not good at it. I've used that excuse. I've said from this stage that, like, I'm not great at prayer. I prefer to do other things. I'll let other people pray. And uh, I'll pray, but, like, I'm not a prayer warrior, right? Some people, prayer warrior, they pray all the time. And, like, I, you know, I, morning, night, before meals, a couple times through the day. Um, but I don't think this is a good enough excuse for me. I think prayer is a learned behavior, which is why the disciples said, teach us. They were bathed in a culture that had lots and lots of prayer, but they wanted Jesus to teach them. Their emphasis was on the how of prayer, and Jesus wants to talk about the who of prayer. But I think we can learn. I think we can learn for this to be a really valid and helpful and life-giving thing that we do. We can learn. It's a learned behavior. And my only example of learned behavior is one of my favorite things that's happening in the world right now. And please forgive me if you find this offensive. In my mind, I don't think anyone's been hurt. But if you don't know, there's a couple pods of orcas that have been attacking boats. Because one of the female orcas got, you know, she got some scars and traumatized from some of the rudders. And so now these orcas are teaching other orcas how to rip the rudders off boats. And I kind of love it. I don't want anyone to be hurt. I don't want a single human being to be hurt. But a couple rudders, what's the... And what's wild about it, why this is like scientifically interesting, is that they're teaching each other. It's learned behavior. A dumb illustration, but I needed one more story. They're teaching each other, animals teaching each other to do this really advanced thing, to take these rudders off boats. If you haven't seen the videos, go watch. It's very interesting and wild, but these orcas are fighting back by teaching each other to rip the rudders off these boats. And I just, like, for me, I was like, if orcas can learn to dismantle a whole boat, I think I can learn to sit down and be quiet and pray for a minute to my heavenly Father who wants me Spend some time with him. Be brash and persistent and bold and come and sit at my heavenly father's feet and receive the gift that he has for me, which is ultimately more of himself, which is ultimately what I need. Uh, no one is good at it in the beginning. We learn it by doing it. It's learned behavior, and Jesus is trying to encourage you to spend time doing it and be persistent about it. If you're earnest in the seeking, Jesus promises that the Father will be faithful to be found. And that's his promise to all of us, that if you're earnest in seeking, God is faithful to be found.
So keep knocking. That's Jesus' encouragement to you. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep finding. And with that, I'm going to see if we have any questions and wrap up. And then I'll give you my conclusion. I think I just saw one come through. So what do we do when prayer becomes no more life-giving, but it does become more chore-like or more road or routine? How do we change it up so that it becomes life-giving again? Great question. This is something that I think all of us will struggle with at some point in our journeys if we already haven't. My encouragement, A, is to just be bored. And I don't know that's exactly what you're saying, but it's okay to keep our routines. They will be life-giving for us, even if we don't feel like it's life-giving at that moment. But yes, there are lots of different ways to change up prayer. I have a whole bunch of ways I can send you. In fact, if you have a blue card and you want me to, I can send you about four, five, six different ways that Christians have prayed throughout time that have helped shake things up. You can pray through scripture. Um, You can do different types of ways of praying. I use an acronym to help me pray. Um, But again, those are just really helpful to kind of shake up the routine. I would hate for you to feel like there's a how that Jesus wants us to emphasize and less of the who. And so don't let me send you a bunch of ways to pray and then you forget all about how Jesus is emphasizing the who-ness instead of the how-ness. But I would suggest, A, just embrace, embrace the boredom. If you need to take a nap, that's okay. Sometimes Jesus took lots of naps in the, in the scriptures, and God knows you need a nap. So if you start praying and you take a nap, that's okay. That's okay. That's part of it. Don't feel guilty. I remember feeling guilty sometimes because I forgot to say amen before I fell asleep at night. I think God convicted me on that. I was just praying, sitting with my heavenly father, fell asleep. I don't get mad when my kids fall asleep on my lap. You know what I mean? Like, that's a blessing. And so uh, Jesus does not want you to be caught up in the how, but the who. But I have some ways to shake it up if you feel like you need a different routine, for sure. And with that, let me summarize and be on our way. When asked how to pray, Jesus didn't give them a technical guide. He showed them a God who was a father and a friend who desires to give us more of himself through the Holy Spirit. And he encourages us to be persistent in prayer. Not a checklist practice, but a connection for relationship. And with that, would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Father. Thank you for this parable. No guilt here. No condemnation. No judgment an invitation you give to all of us, every one of us, to see you and perceive you as the best parent, not far away, but close to us, who cares for us deeply and desires for us to be connected to you. Would you help us to experience that in prayer? Not as another chore or thing that we have to do or a checklist for our religion, but as a moment to take a breath to be quiet, to receive your Holy Spirit and to feel more connected to you, the author of all life. Lord, maybe some of us do need a little bit of conviction or challenge around this. But ultimately, we're here to ask for your help. 
Would you help us? Would you help us prioritize this time that we would become people who ask and seek and knock because you are a God who chooses to give, to be found, to open doors. And so help us to take the step of asking and knocking. Father, as we come now to this time of communion, would this bread and this cup become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord? And would it become spiritual nourishment for us as we walk this path of becoming more persistent in prayer, big, bold, brash prayer people? Would it become nourishment for us so that we would have energy for the journey towards you to be with you? And Table Church, would you help me end this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.